recently, as you know, I've been speaking on the, on the Ten Commandments, and I come to number ten today, Thou shalt not covet. And uh, this is the last of the ten, and it is such a key word, and as you'll notice in your bulletin, the title of the message today is The Hinge. The Hinge. Someone has once said the doors of history turn on very small hinges. That's true of life. That's true of faith. It turns on very small but indispensable and significant hinges. We want to talk about that today. But recently, a number of weeks ago now, when we were in Israel and went to Mount Sinai and climbed Mount Sinai, a number of us, and had that uh, indescribable experience of being there in that place where God uh, not only spoke these words, but wrote these words and delivered them to Moses and to the children of Israel and to the world. I thought of an event that occurred a number of years ago that I've shared with some of you in days past. But uh, to be standing there with Michael, our son, who is now finishing his Ph.D. in Old Testament and archaeology, and uh, to recall some days long ago when he was nearly seven, six and a half or seven or so, and Steve was about uh, four, and it was the Saturday before Mother's Day. And I had what at the time I thought was a brilliant idea. It turned out to be nearly catastrophic, but I thought it was very imaginative and creative. On that Saturday, I took Mike and Steve and uh, we drove up to then Summer's Drugstore. Drug it's now Eckert's up there in the neighborhood where we have lived all these years uh, on North New Braunfels. And I gave each of them a couple of bucks, which was buy, would buy more then than it does now. But uh, I gave each of them a couple of three dollars, and I said, uh, Now, boys, I want you to go in there and pick out something on your own for your mother. Now, if you fathers have ever been tempted to do that, let this be a lesson to you. Don't do that. That will not work, probably. It may work for you. It didn't work too good for us. Anyway, we went in there, and those two boys stormed into that drugstore, clutching those three dollars in their hand. It looked like Marines charging Iwo Jima. It was just unreal. And there they were, tearing in there. I went over to the soda fountain, which we had there. They had there then. They don't have one now. To kind of hide, I, I, I really didn't want anyone to know that those boys were related to me. But uh, they went in there, and every now and then I could hear Mike or Steve yell at one another and say, Hey, Mike, come here, see this? And Steve would say, Mike, come here, look at this. And every now and then one of them would run over there and say, Dad, come over here. I said, Do not call me Dad in public. I don't know you. I've never seen you. Go buy something. Hurry. Let's get out of here. Out of deference to the women who work there, I went over there to intervene, and Mike was sampling the lipsticks. <laughs> you ain't, may remember, they used to have those lipsticks displayed in great big old uh, kind of trays there, you know, just a whole tray of them. And this was in the day when Revlon was doing a lot of advertising on television, and Mike had seen the ads, and so he saw this huge tray of lipsticks, and he was going through there. Uh, you're supposed to just look at the, what do they call it, the shade chart or the color chart or some exotic name like that. And 
to, to pick out the one you want, but not Michael. He was taking each one of them, uncapping them, and twisting it out, and looking at it, and then putting it back. And the poor sales lady was trying to be delicate and say, that's not the way you do it. I said, Michael, please, hurry up, buy it, let's go. Any of them. Martha would love them. <laughs> he picked out, without any doubt, the most garish color you have ever seen in your life. I wish we had kept it. They could use it to line the runways at night out at the airport. <laughs> Ground zero, you could see it from 10 miles away. It was, it glowed in the dark. You could see Martha two or three days ahead of time. She was, <laughs> it was, it really was something else. And Mike looked at it. I said, Martha would love it. And then I looked at the name of it. Reckless Pink. Isn't that terrific? Reckless Pink. Just what a preacher's wife needs. Reckless Pink. I looked around for Stephen. He was enamored with spray colognes. He was down at the far end of the drugstore sampling the spray colognes. He was not spraying them on, you know, the way he's supposed to spray a little on your wrist or something so you can smell them. He would take them and spray them, because we taught our children, always spray room sprays away from your face. It can blind you or drive you crazy or something if you get it in your eyes. So spray, spray it away from you. So he would spray the room spray out there, and then like a bird dog trying to catch a scent, he would go out there trying to pick it up. Well, let me tell you, after you mix four or five of those things together, it'll make you sick at your stomach. It is, it's revolting. I went down there amidst the fog of those room sprays, and I said, Stephen, pick one. Any of them. Martha would love all of them. Terrific. Get it. Get it. So he finally picked one. The name, intoxication. <laughs> Just what every preacher's wife needs. Reckless pink and intoxication. I said, let's get out of here. We paid them. We started out. But looking back, I could see where I'd been set up by both of them. Up near the front then, they had a little display um, counter there of jewelry, costume jewelry. And Michael had spotted a, a little charm bracelet. It was really a child's bracelet. It was cheapo, cheapo. It would, but it had, and he went around behind the counter, opened it up, and got it out. The sales lady again, a little upset with our procedures there. She, he got it out, and he said, Dad, we don't have the money, but we need to get this for Martha, for Mother. I said, what is it, Mike? She's got a beautiful charm bracelet. You know, back in the days when women wore a lot of charm bracelets, and we had them on there, all these charms and stuff. He said, no, but this one is different. It's the Ten Commandments. And it's only a dollar fifty cents. Please, let's get it for Mother. She could wear it to Sunday school. I said, Michael, your mother knows the Ten Commandments. But I know she doesn't have a bracelet like this. We can get it for a dollar and a half. Well, my resistance was low by then, very low. My patience was even lower. And I figured Moses would be proud of me to be able to buy the Ten Commandments for a dollar and a half. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good bargain. 
I looked at that thing. It was so, I wasn't sure Martha could get it on her wrist, and if she did, it was a cheap thing. It would, her wrist would probably turn gangrenous and her hand fall off <laughs> in a week or two. Anyway, out of self-defense, if nothing else, I bought that, and they put it in a little package, and we went home. The three most unwise men that ever brought gifts to anybody. Here we came with reckless pink, intoxication, and the Ten Commandments. <laughs> that is an unusual mixture, to say the least. Uh, I performed a miracle. I was able to get into the house before Mike and Steve got in. And I said, Martha, get ready. You're going to have the most unusual Mother's Day you have ever had. Well, they, Mike presented the lipstick, and Martha, all mothers know how to ooh and ah. Oh, Ooh, just what I wanted, Mike. I'd been looking at it, just what I needed. And then Steve with the spray cologne, he sprayed it, and the flowers wilted and everything in the room. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful I've been wanting that. And here, then here they came with a piece de resistance, both of them carrying and arguing over who was going to give it to her, this charm bracelet. She opened it up and took it out, and there it was in all of its $1.50 grandeur, stretched out there on that, the cotton in that little box, the Ten Commandments. Mike said, because he was learning to read then phonetically and all this, he said, let me read them to you. I said, Mike, I love you, but I've had all I can stand of you for a little while. <laughs> Please go outside. Just leave us alone. No, let me read it to Mother. I said, she's read them. Well, let me read them. Martha said, let him do it. It's not going to hurt anything. So he started. He started from the wrong end. He started with number 10 rather than number 1. And he read, Thou shalt not covet. He said, Dad, what's covet? I said, Mike, it's a technical kind of word. It means to have a desire in your heart for something, to want it so badly that if you had the chance to take it, you, I, I said, don't worry about it. Covet. Then he read, thou shalt not lie. I, I tried to stop him at that point because I knew where we were going. <laughs> I did know the Ten Commandments. And I did know we were going to get to number seven quicker from the wrong end <laughs> than we were from the correct end. And we got there. Then thou shalt not steal, and then thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> Dad, what's adultery? I said, Mike, it's a technical word. <laughs> It's not something we talk about on Mother's Day. I will, <laughs> I, will I will talk to you about it later. And so I kind of passed over that at the time. He went on and he finished. And I, I, looking back on it, I kind of summarized, even though he mispronounced the words, what Mike was saying in a way, unintentionally, was that thou shalt not covet or covart. It, <laughs> Either way, just kind of keep life going straight. 
But the point I want to make is that in a sense, he began from the wrong end, but in a sense, he began from the right end. He began from the right end. He, be he began at the end. And the last should be first. For this commandment is different from the other commandments. The first three have to do with our relationship to God. You'll have no other, no other gods before me. You will not make unto yourself any graven images. You will not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You will remember the Lord's day. He begins then to work into the next two, into the relationships of worship and family, the family of God and the family of the home. You'll honor father and mother. You will keep the Sabbath day to keep it. You'll remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then the next four, you will not murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal and you will not lie. Suddenly it gets to our behavior in the world. Here we've been talking about, he's been speaking of our relationship to God, our relationship to God's. God's people, God's family, our immediate family. And then he's been talking about the relationship God's people are to have to the world, to those Christian or non-Christian, believer or not believer, our behavior in society. And then he moves inside us. He suddenly starts talking and referring not to our actions, but our attitudes, not to our behavior, but to our desires, not the external manifestations of our faith and commitment, but the internal permeating power of God's Spirit within us. He suddenly starts talking about what we think and what we desire. Now, I want to go back for just a moment and remind you of how the context in which these commandments were given, because I believe the misunderstanding that so often accompanies the Ten Commandments is due to a misunderstanding of the context, the nature in which they were giving, the situation were given the situation that surrounded the expression of these Ten Commandments. I'll remind you again of Exodus 19. The commandments are in Exodus 20. Back up to Exodus 19. God says this to Moses. Fourth verse, tell them, tell the people, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I brought you to myself. You didn't come to me. I came to you. You did not initiate the relationship. I initiated the relationship. I came to you. I brought you to myself. As though on an eagle's wing. The initiative was not with you. The initiative was with me. 
Your salvation from slavery and servitude was not the result of your initiative, but my initiative. You didn't earn your salvation. I purchased it. I brought you out as on an eagle's wings. And the sixth verse, And you shall be a kingdom of priests to God, a holy nation. And then the 20th chapter, the immediate introduction. That's the background. The immediate introduction to the Ten Commandments. I, he doesn't begin with the commandments. He begins with himself. He begins with God, with God, with God. And the problem a lot of us have in relation to the commandments and our behavior is that we begin with ourselves, our own self-help, our own self-improvement, our own self-esteem. The commandments begin with God. We must begin with God or we'll never understand not only life, we'll never understand the principles of God, nor will we ever understand the commandments of God. I am Jehovah your God who liberated you. You did not earn your freedom. You did not earn your salvation. I liberated you from your slavery in Egypt. Therefore, you're not to worship any other god. You're to have no other gods before me. You're not to make any gods out of your own hands that you worship. You're to remember my day and keep it holy. You're to take me seriously, not take my name in vain. You're to honor your family because it is through them that the faith comes to you. And you are not to murder. You are not to kill. You are not to commit adultery. You are not to steal. You're not to lie. You're not to covet. He gives those commandments. Now, the point I want to make, only a couple this morning, but I believe they are highly significant. God did not bring the children of Israel, the children of God, out of Egypt because they were great or good. He brought them out because He was great and He was good. He did not bring them out because they were something special. He brought them out to become something special. Priests, witnesses, representatives, servants of God and man. That's what he's done with us individually. We're not Christians because we're moral or good or ethical. We're slaves just as they were. And we have been saved by the grace of God. He didn't save us because we were great. He saved us because He was great. He didn't save us because we were good. He saved us because He is full of grace and truth. He didn't save us as a church because we're something special. We can sit down now and twiddle our thumbs and talk about little Jack Horner religion, what a good church Trinity is. Not so. He didn't save us because we were hot stuff. He saved us so we would become something special in this community and in this world. 
And today we begin to think that we've got to just sit back and enjoy our salvation and our accomplishments and our facilities and our fellowship and all of the blessings that God has come to us. The moment that happens, you can write Ichabod over the front door of this church, which means the glory of God has departed. He's not through with us. We're not in the promised land yet. We've got a pilgrimage to complete. He's just started with us, both individually and collectively. Now, to you personally, God did not bring His people out to take them on a guilt trip. He brought them out and He brought us out to take us on a grace trip. They were saved by grace. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. We are led by the grace of God. These commandments were not given to cause us to have a guilt trip. They were given to us so that we could know the grace of God and avoid the guilt that comes into our lives when we disregard the principles and purposes of God for our lives and the lives of people around us. It all begins with grace. Now, what I want you to notice, if you have your Bibles, you may want to look with me or you may want to write it down. We, we come to the heart of the heart of God and the purpose of God for His people then and for His people now. You will not covet. He suddenly moves inside to my spirit, inside to my attitude, inside to my thinking and to my desires. That's the source of my action. That's the source of my external problems. Inside. You're not to covet. It's a hinge that opens the door of grace. Jeremiah comprehended it. Move over now, hundreds and hundreds of years to the prophet Jeremiah. Listen to what he wrote, 31st chapter, beginning with verse 31. The day will come, Jeremiah saw it, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new testament, with the people of Israel and Judah, and it won't be like the one I made with their fathers, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Notice again the initiative of God, the leadership of God, the deliverance of God, the grace of God. They didn't get out of Egypt on their own. God brought them out of Egypt. They came out on God's visa. A contract they broke, forcing me to reject them, says the Lord. But, listen, this is a new contract I will make with them. I, boy, this is power. Listen, Jeremiah. But I will put my law in their minds. Internally. Not on a piece of rock from the top of Mount Sinai. I will put my law in their minds and I will inscribe my laws upon their hearts. 
their desires, their motives. I'll put my law in their mind and in their heart. How? We'll get to that. So they shall want to honor me. Not have to honor me. It's a grace trip, not a guilt trip. They will have a new desire. They will not want to covet. They will not want to murder. They will not want to commit adultery. They'll not want to steal. They'll not want to lie. They'll not want to worship any other false gods. I'll put new wants within them. Not new have-tos. New want-tos. Then they shall truly be my people. And I will be their God. My, and he has a comforting word through Jeremiah, listen to him. I am as likely to reject my people as I am to do away with these laws of nature. Not until the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth explored will I consider casting them away forever for their sin. Now listen. Turn to the most theological book ever written, the book of Romans. You listen to this recurring theme picked up under the inspiration of God's Spirit and written by the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he writes, 7th chapter, 18th verse. I know I am rotten through and through. I'm a slave. I'm a sinner. All of us have sinned. I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Who will free me from, listen, who will free me from my slavery? Egypt. Who will free me from my slavery? Thank God it has been done by Jesus Christ our Lord. He has set me free. So there is 8th chapter of Romans. One of the great chapters of the Bible. So, because I've been a slave, I've now been set free by the love and the grace of God. So there is now no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit and the power that is mine through Christ Jesus has freed me Freed me from Egypt. Freed me from the vicious circle of sin and death. We aren't saved from sin's grasp. Listen. We aren't saved from sin's grasp by knowing the commandments of God. Because we can't and don't keep them. 
But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful and destroyed sin's control over us by giving Himself as a sacrifice for our sins. So now, boy, what a great word. So now we can obey God's laws if we follow after the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within us, and no longer obey the old evil nature within us. Eighth chapter concluding what? Can we ever say to such wonderful things as this? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thou shalt not covet. You'll have a new heart with new desires, with a new love and a new purpose. When the covet conquering Christ places a new heart within you, and within me, and within us, by faith in the Son of God, His Son, our Deliverer, our Passover Lamb, our manna, our water from the rock, our cloud by day, our warmth by night, our sin forgiver, our soul saver, our home builder, our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Follow him. Trust him. Give your heart to him, your life to him. Put your faith in him. Join the company of his people, imperfect in every outward expression, being made different because of the internal dwelling of the Spirit of God inside of us by the presence of of the living Christ. I'll be right here to greet you. Trust Him today. Accept Him today. Come just as you are. No one would have gotten out of Egypt until they, if they had waited until they earned it. No one would have been delivered from the slavery of Pharaoh if they tried to buy it. It was a gift. A gift of grace from beginning to end. It's grace. Grace. 
grace greater than all our sins.